The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, let's get straight into our final conversation for the morning. Professor Shingai Mutambira is the head of the urology department at the Sifago Mahato Health Sciences University. He's also founder of the Prostate Cancer Foundation South Africa. And today, of course, we're talking about urinary incontinence. Professor Mutambira, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. My absolute pleasure and morning to you, Kathy, and your listeners as well. This is often a not comfortable conversation to have um, because it is one of those um, things that makes people feel quite embarrassed about speaking about. And a lot of people just simply suffer in silence and not understanding that they don't have to just live with the condition without finding out what other possibilities and avenues for a therapy that might be available oh yeah for sure i think uh, when we're talking about incontinence it's uh, actually a, a, a word which was based on an f- old french thing which means without restraint and for our purposes there um, any fluid that comes out of the body without you wanting to, to have come out is incontinence and the two most common versions of this and by far the most common are uh fecal incontinence where you soil yourself with your feces which uh, and but far more common than that is urine incontinence where we wet ourselves for uh without when we didn't want to be 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 socially uh, wet and i think when we look at it there are other areas in the body like even the mouth and ears and things which can have fluids that come out but these are by far the most common and again for our purposes there are essentially only about five different types of urine incontinence that uh, we like to define uh one is what we call urge incontinence where you feel the need to go to the toilet but before you reach the bathroom uh you wet yourself um the second is what we call stress incontinence which is not about being stressed but when you cough or sneeze and you increase the pressure inside your abdomen it involuntarily leaks uh the third one is where uh, if you get your bladder doesn't empty properly like for example if your prostate is blocked up and you're not able to pass urine and then it overflows because of pressure inside the bladder that's called overflow incontinence and then the fourth one is what we call a uh, total incontinence where you're just wet all the time and that can be from like for example if you've had an injury to your bladder or to the pipe for passing urine uh, the pipes that are coming from your kidneys which then empty into the vagina and your or even in the in, in the rectum for guys which then can cause you incontinence and although it's not usually defined as part as real incontinence you must remember that bedwetting uh, is a form of incontinence as well and all of them have slightly different causes and all of them have slightly different treatments but they're extremely common um and you bring me to to my next question so because we are perhaps beginning the conversation off more broadly um if we can talk about what are the causes behind um some of the different types of incontinence that you've just outlined Oh yeah, um, with the urgency incontinence is probably the most common one for, especially for 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 females, and it's. Uh, but guys also do get it very commonly, and the, we we a lot of we, for our purposes again, there's only about three reasons why people will feel like they have to rush to the toilet and and don't make it there. One would be if there was a problem with the nerves to the bladder, like for example, if your person has. Um, 
uh, a, a problem with an electricity, a paraplegia, that can cause one of those things as well. The second is if there's something inside the bladder that's irritating the bladder, like for example, if it's a bladder infection, uh, but usually you'll have other symptoms besides just the rushing, like burning in the urine. And bladder infection is extremely common. Um, they Almost every woman will get a bladder infection at some stage in her life, and that can cause the same feeling of rushing to the toilet. Uh, but the, by far the most common is what we, of, of this urgent continence is what we call is is what we call idiopathic, which means that we really don't understand exactly why um, the person has it. It's not as an idiot. It's just the, we don't we are the idiots that we don't really understand. But we suspect it's something to do with the bladder muscles or the the ions going through the muscles that are just making the bladder overwork itself, and that. I, as I said, probably around anywhere between 40 and 50% of women and men have this. And most of the time, it's relatively easy to treat. We might get back onto that a little bit later. Uh, when it comes to stress incontinence, which is when you cough and sneeze and you wet yourself, again, it's un unfortunately, it's more common in females. And it's mainly, for our purposes, again, based on the muscle. That's, there's a muscle just below the bladder, uh, which is not the same muscle that's used for, for, that, for the urgent continence, but it's one that we call the pelvic diaphragm which is also the it helps to keep the the the, the bladder up keeps the, the the womb up keeps the rectum up it keeps the prostate up in men and if that muscle gets weakened it can when you cough and sneeze the pressure then lets the urine come out uh, when you're when you when you when you're involuntary you're increasing the abdominal pressure and uh, again why females is more common is mainly because uh, the vagina is, is an extra area there which can be open but also because of child uh, bearing children and it doesn't really matter whether you or you give a vaginal delivery or a cesarean you can still get the same problem and again there are various treatments for that when it comes to to to, to, to overflow, the commonest ones are, are again when are probably prostate in men, and that happens when we give the prostate, which is sitting just below the bladder around the pipe passing here, and it gets bigger after the age of 40, and it can block up the area. Get overflow, not that common, uh, but it does happen. And then the total incontinence, um, it's usually either from two main things. For our, you know, it's almost always in in females and and males are slightly different. In females, it's often because of uh, an injury, like for example, if they had a, a, a bit of a damage to the bladder when they were having a cesarean section, or if they're having a hysterectomy, and also cervical cancer. And just to punt, please. Is remember everybody HPV vaccination is, uh, is 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 out there. It can eradicate cervical cancer. It's one of the biggest killer of cancers in the, in our country. Uh, let's consider that. And then the last one, the the bedwetting or enuresis is is uh, based on a chemical which is produced in the brain at night. Basically, what happens is this a chemical called the N a ADH or antidiuretic hormone, which is supposed to be is produced at night to prevent, uh, to decrease the amount of urine that's made by the kidneys. It also decreases the amount of fluid that comes from your mouth and you're sweating and that sort of thing. And we know that if it's low, you can then get this uh, inability to wake up in time to go and urinate. Um, so, so, so effectively, what you're saying, Professor uh, Motambiro, is that when we look at bedwetting, we, we shouldn't just see it as just that. It is an actual health condition that can be treated. 
Oh yeah, I, I think what people when we look look at it statistically, the the average female will be, will be potty trained faster than uh, than males. But once a child reaches around the age of four for a female, then about six for a guy, and they're still bedwetting, um, it, it 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 is a problem because they, it means that there probably is a problem with this chemical because we know that seventy percent, seventy eighty percent of of children who have bedwetting, uh, it's a genetic thing. It's actually been inherited by their 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 from their parents and of course there are cultural and other things for example if you go to cambodia because there's no diapers in some of the rural areas they actually are potty trained within six months but that's even some of them will still still have this congenital thing and then we must consider the treatments and there are treatments which we replenish this uh, adh medication but there are also things like bladder training which is important for all types of urinary incontinence mm-hmm. where we actually can tell that do things like timing and giving alarms to prevent them from having a problem so it's not a it's not a simple thing and it also can be it unfortunately when you have one type of incontinence you're far more likely to get other types of urine incontinence as well and also fecal incontinence is closely related to all of these urinary incontinences. So if it's bothersome and it's giving a patient a problem, and just as a, provide, a side thing for adults, we know that there's something called nocturia, which is waking up too many times at night to pass urine, is related also to the same ADH chemical. And it's very common, up to 60, 70% of, of people over the age of 50 are waking up more than once, at more than two times at night, and it's actually interfering with their sleep. Again, we can we, there are treatments for that as well, and don't consider it normal just because you're aging that you're more likely to wake up a lot at night and possibly wet your bed at night. Let's talk about um, the the issue of incontinence and uh, pelvic floor muscles because often, you know, and this is when you have conversations with people, but also if you go up on Dr. Google, I know my sources are very credible, right? But there is a suggestion that uh, if you're able to get your pelvic floor muscles right, then you can sort of fix any form of incontinence that you might be dealing with. Is that the case? No, not not necessarily. There, 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 there. They definitely pelvic floor muscles are important. Not only for no, no. Not only for um, the stress incontinence, the coughing and sneezing, aware of yourself, but even for the rushing to the toilet, the urgency, because we know that there's a very vast number of muscles in that area, in the pelvic area, not just the, it, it, we call it the pelvic floor, but there's lots of other ones that are associated with the bones, some with the spine that have to be addressed as well. And the point is that we definitely do encourage uh, the bladder would be strengthening of the, of the muscle down there, but sometimes overworking of the pelvic floor can also cause problems with incontinence. And unfortunately, this is one, one of the, the areas where it's sort of counterproductive, counterintuitive because uh, I, I, you know, I love talking about exercise diet and the, that sort of thing. But we know that females who are actually doing uh, impact exercises like jumping and, and, and skipping and that sort of thing, and, and and a lot of elite athletes are far more likely to actually develop urine incontinence because even though the muscles are getting strengthened down there, there are other p- impacts like, for example, the the the, the, the forces when the patient when the person is jumping and, and doing that sort of thing. So although pelvic floor is very important for for any type of incontinence, but uh, and including even ones where 
the total incontinence at the week because often even after we close the holes in the bladder when there's going into the vagina and stuff there still needs to be strengthening but it's not the utopia there are other aspects that need to be addressed and i think it has to be a more holistic holistic uh, management of every patient with any form of incontinence how long does it take often to to treat incontinence and can it be completely eradicated or is it a case of once those muscles have weakened you know you sort of have to live with some level of incontinence indefinitely uh, the short answer here is no you don't have to live with any of these forms of incontinence almost all of them can be treated by by uh, by practitioners for example we know that besides the pelvic the behavioral changes we're talking about like in decreasing fluid for example if you feel like rushing to the toilet uh, not drinking too much at night before you go to the until you don't have these enuresis these things do help the pelvic floor exercises are also super important but for example when you come to urge incontinence which is because essentially for uh, the bladder is like like a balloon with muscle around it and what happens is the the we, as it gets full the bladder starts getting a little bit overactive and the reality is just as a tidbit of fact that we 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 only we only urinate um, actively between three and five minutes in a 24-hour cycle most of the time your body your bladder is storing this medic the, the urine inside there and we can then treat with medications which can actually relax the bladder muscles the two main main ones are what we call anticholinergics and to three agonists they often start working within a couple of days and they do very well but even if that fails there's still other things that we can do for example we can use botox which is the same stuff that we use for facelifts and stuff it paralyzes muscles we inject that into the bladder making them relax works very well there's something called neuromodulation where we can actually use nerve stimulators to actually control that and essentially you can be it can be cured from that stress incontinence particularly both in male and female in men it's usually because we've done operations that have damaged the muscle at the same time but we can put things like slings and and sphincters inside there to help with that if you've got total incontinence you can we, we're looking at closing the holes and fixing those that that can be done as well and the overflow incontinence again we can we can usually de obstruct the patient to make sure that the overflow doesn't continue and with the nocturia and wet and and uh, bed wetting again this chemical uh, adh although there are other treatments that are involved can be sub- supplemented and often with the with the enuresis it, almost the first time you try it you the, the patient is basically not having a problem although they often do need to be on these treatments some sometimes lifelong but often they will recover uh, in the future as well but it is a journey it's not like a, a an instant sprint it's a journey that usually has to happen but almost all of them can be treated all right so so the word then is that there is treatment available so you don't have to necessarily live with incontinence. It does begin, however, with taking the first step and actually uh, going to get help. Uh, Professor Mutambira is our guest on the health and wellness feature today. I'll be taking your calls for him on 086-000-2032. As you can hear, he's very well versed on the subject and he, he might be able to help with whatever questions you may have. You can send some of your text messages and voice notes on 0614-104-107. It's 11.30. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue leading the conversation on SAFM. Let me head over to Durban. Scully, good morning. Ah, good morning to you, Kathy. Thank yes. you for taking my call. And to the doctor, good, good morning, sir. Hello? 
Good morning, good morning, Scully. Good morning. Okay. Um, my 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 ask is, when doc, I was on. They put me on Euromax, the urologist. Yeah. And then um, I was taking the Euromax as usual, one a day, one a day. And then just for some reasons on my own, I slowly, 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 and it's gone about a, make it a year now or nine months. I I'm not taking the Euromax, but I. I go normal, you know, but but I, yeah. I get like I prayed now and then to say, hey, I got to go back and check the doc and so on. Don't be afraid of your practitioner, Scully. We, 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 we're very open and so we must have remember that you are the boss when it comes to patients. So you make the call. If you're not comfy, if you're not using the medication, or you're not comfortable with it. Definitely go and have a word with him. Now, just for the listeners out there, what he's talking about is as the men, men have something called a prostate, which is sitting just below the bladder all the way around the pipe for passing urine. Uh, what it does is when we, we um, have intercourse and ejaculate or whatever, then it produces most of what a guy ejaculates with another gland called the seminal vesicle. After the age of about 40, it starts getting bigger just for every guy for reasons we're not too sure and what we do usually do when it starts doing that it can actually start blocking the pipe and it can also then cause you to have a problem with incontinence as well so what you, uh, scully is on is, is was a, what we call an alpha blocker which is basically a, a medication which relaxes the muscles of the prostate and it can it, often with when you use it for a period it can stop the problem for a period and then eventually your body just sometimes the prostate shrinks a little bit for whatever reason you don't need to take the medication so i think the short answer is don't be stressing if you can, if you're not taking the medication but what you should be doing is that just go back just to check because again a little about punt that uh, the commonest cancers in men after skin cancer is prostate cancer and we do need to check that about once a year but don't be frightened to go and see your treating physician which is quite common that some of the medications will be stopped after a period of time thank you doc all right all right scully thanks for that um anonymous says i'm a senior male no chronic only gout and frequent constipation. I did a PSA test in February 23, and the result was negative. I think it was 1.25. But about a month ago, I noticed that at times when I pass water, there's a bit left over. So I have to stand for a while in the loo uh, rather than repeating the process. I don't wake up often, though, to pass water. Um, could constipation and rectal inf- inflammation cause prostate issues um and he also yeah. mentions that he's been diagnosed with idiopathic hamaturia for three years um idiopathic for three years plus, yes and uh, and, yeah, and, okay. and with with microscopic blood but it has since gone away yes Yes, all of them are basically related. It's true, the rectum is right next door to the prostate and to the bladder. So if you have constipation or irritable bowel syndrome or colitis or any of these things, it can actually irritate the bladder both in men and women and cause you to have a problem. So it's, it is related, but it's not the major issue when it comes to the you, what, you, what you're basically called to saying is that post-void dribbling, you dribble after you urinate, you don't empty completely. And that's almost always due to the prostate 
update in men over the age of 40. Uh, the, what, the short answer for, him, for, for you, for Anonymous, is that if he was having this problem and it's bothering him, then he should go and see a urologist. The, the, for our purposes, there are two things that happen to the prostate after the age of 40. One is cancer, which one in six guys will get. But the more, far more common is what we call BPH, or benign prostatic hyperplasia, which is a normal enlargement as we get older. And this can cause a lot of difficulty passing urine. In fact, prostate cancer rarely causes you difficulty passing urine until it's very advanced. That's why we want to do the blood test, PSA or prostate-specific antigen, just to pick it up early so we don't have a problem. But for his purposes, Anonymous, you should be going to see your healthcare provider. And by the way, this is not just in private government services. We are very good. At, we, get, we also can treat all of these things. We have these medications. And he needs to get probably onto one of these medications that Scully was on that will prevent them from having that problem. All right. And we, we have more questions that are really around the same question around internal hemorrhoids and how they affect uh, and how those affect the, the prostate. But I think you've you've answered the question. Anything else you want to add on that issue before I move on to other listeners? Oh, yeah. I think the, the hemorrhoids which are, or piles, which are very common, they're basically essentially the, the, the anus has got is a, a circular muscle. It's got about it's got three veins which are going through there. And if you have constipation or you have some other problems, it can actually cause clots in those veins, which then cause a reflex pain and that sort of thing. And they're extremely common. But just remember, if you do have, they usually present with pain, constipation, but they can also present with uh, with anal bleeding uh, and sometimes even fecal incontinence. But if you have them, you have to make sure it's, it is piles and not something else because they things like cancers of the of the rectum and things can also cause a similar problem. So you, it is important for you to see your treating physician. They can usually pick it up, but they're all related. And oh, and just, I think I forgot to mention about the um, blood in the urine. His blood in the urine for anonymous was probably because of his prostate. But in general, if you have, if you see visible blood in the urine, you can see it with your eyes. You must be worried that up to 30% of you might have a problem with some form of cancer, be it bladder or kidney or something. So don't take it lightly, get it checked out. But if it's not being seen on, on, on with your eyes and you're just seeing it, you're just picking it up with uh, the tests like these uh, little sticks that we put in our urine. Most of the time, that's not a big problem, but sometimes we do need to investigate a bit further. All right. That, that's really good advice there, uh, Prof Motambira. Rachel, you're out in Gabeja. Good morning, Rachel. Hey, Rick. I hope you're well. well. Uh, hi. Thanks for the great show and to the Prof. Um, yeah, I do um, also, I have been to the gynae. It's, uh, I think, a common uh, uh, one in, in, in women over 50, urinary incontinence. Um, she did say to me that I do need to uh, make that exercise. Um, like, like you just, you stand, or when you, especially when you're standing, you like, because the muscles tend to become weaker here, Prof., so she says yeah. that I need to like just press, you know, push in, and uh, I need yeah. to make I need to make it a, a a habit, like. But you forget, you know, uh, to do it, and yeah. Uh, yeah it's so. true. It's true. Yeah, I I, I, I suspect you're too. You're the, talking about the one when you cough and sneeze and you wet yourself. That's the problem. Yeah, got, right? like you you tend to leak, yeah. especially when you laugh out. Like I love yes, a lot, so yes. and um, also when you, um, <laughs> yeah, like and when you do go to the loo, yeah. like you tend to, like you said, like earlier on, uh, there's like still like you're sitting and you, like you know, there's still come, there's still some, like you know, and you even open the yeah. tap 
just so that you can hear the sound of water coming through yeah. the tap in order to, yeah. for the urine to come yeah. through and that type of thing. Yeah. But besides the exercise that we that is good, I suppose, Friendly. because it strengthens the muscle. There is other exercises that one can do in order to strengthen that. The what do you call that muscle here in between your pelvic diaphragm? Yeah, pelvic diaphragm. That's okay. right. Yeah, no, I think the, the, the point is what you're talking about are Kegel exercises where we, you put weights and the vagina to help to strengthen the muscles there they are very helpful as well but remember again there's other things that are involved for example if you're if you're in particularly if you're going into menopause part of the control of the urine in the pelvic diaphragm is also hormonal as well so sometimes hormonal replacement even vaginal can help with that to strengthen those muscles and do that sort of thing but at the end of the day the commonest things that we do if, if you're having a big problem because the majority of people are not going to get totally continence yeah. from from doing just the exercises we usually will then consider doing a procedure and the procedures aren't huge but the point is that because even that feeling that you're feeling that you're not emptying is because you probably have something called a cystocele which is your bladder falling into the vagina and so when you're sitting down it doesn't empty so well and because there's still some residual urine there and what we usually do are procedures where we try to elevate the uh the pelvic diaphragm the commonest are things called um, slings basically they're like tapes which we put it's a day case it's not even that difficult or that that well it's not don't let me not say difficult but it's not that it, not a big operation and then we elevate that and after that that usually works for the majority of people but there are other things like for example when we go into the abdomen and we can pull up the whole of the vagina and pull up the bladder uh, again not massive operations but our operations but again just doing the behavioral therapies and the kegel weights often is not enough for most patients and we probably need to consider going to being referred to uh, your urogynecologist or your urologist for them to discuss about these relatively minor procedures all right all right, Rachel, all the best, hey? Uh, thanks for that, Prof. Joseph, you, you're out on the road. I'm going to ask you to keep it short for me. We literally have a minute and a half left. Good morning. Hi, I'm Katie. Yes, yes Joseph? Katie? Yes, go for it. Uh, uh, hi, Katie. I'm sorry, man. I was looking for you yesterday. And mm. You know what's happening? My mom is almost two months. She's at the hospital, Val. Uh, the problem is high blood, shooter, and then ulasetiki kelelo. You know what's happening? The doctor umurilisa satarta hamurilisa. Then we went there with my sister. Na kwa mupumula amusapisa naka onale soba kamarao. They didn't know about it. Doctor, sister, oh, abar no. So kasi mu discharge alichi. Bakhone juan keti for two months. Ola mutu hasi tuului. Kilo soba la inleu harleti. Joseph um, I, I think what I'm going to do, um, Prof. Joseph's matter sounds like it needs a further uh, interrogation and, and assessment. I know that um, no our problem. time is almost up. We're going to get cut off by the link now. Yeah. Now, let me thank it's you no so problem, much for no being problem. part of this conversation. We really appreciate your time.
No, thank you for the opportunity. And again, thanks for a great show. Sure, thank you, uh, Prof. Shingai yeah. Motambira. So what we'll do is that we'll call Joseph back and attend to um, the matter of his mom in hospital for two months, but uh, he seemingly has a lot of issues uh, to raise around the kind of care she's been receiving in hospital out in the Val. That's where we leave it for the show on this Wednesday morning. We're back with you again tomorrow. Up next is the book reading.